part of the commission for the installment of Jesse Robinson today um, at Indelible Grace, I would like to make a motion to nominate David Yee as our chairman. Can I get a second? Okay, thank you. Any opposed? No. Well, welcome Indelible Grace Church to our Sunday worship service. If you're visiting here, we want to tell you it's, a, it's kind of a different service today, so you kind of came on a wonderful day as we celebrate uh, the installation of our new senior pastor, Jesse Robinson. The service elements are going to be a little bit different. Uh, the service might be a touch longer, but we'll reward you with uh, an amazing lunch at the end where we can get to know you and talk to you. So we're all very glad you're here. 
And so today, as we come and worship you, we're, we're worship God, we're here to celebrate what he's done. And in a few moments, we're going to sing these words. From, we didn't sing this verse in the, in the opening stanza, but we're going to say, Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I'm come. And that comes, of course, from the Bible, the, Bible, the Old Testament, where Samuel raises up a rock, uh, and he calls it the stone of help, Ebenezer. And he says, By till now the Lord has helped us. And we say with the saints of old from thousands of years ago, we say with the saints today at IGC, we think about the many challenges and the difficulties of this past year or two that we've gone through. And we can say with all our full hearts together that God's help is the reason that we're here. And so today we come with great celebration. We come with joy. We come with eager expectation for what God and his spirit is going to do in our church and for the work of Jesus Christ and the raising up and treasuring of Jesus Christ in our church, in our community, in our lives. And so we're here to celebrate today. And so I want that to be reflected in our singing, in our praying, in our making noise. And our verse, our, our passage today comes from, our call to worship passage comes from Psalms 100, where we're reminded that God, he, he made us, but he also made us his. We are his people. We are the sheep of his pasture. And so as we stand together, and I read this passage together, let's all stand together if you're able. I will read the leader portion, and you repeat the people portion. And it's, it's almost like the psalmist is saying, these, do these commands, praise him. And why? Because God is our shepherd. He has brought us this far. His steadfast love endures forever. His faithfulness to our church and to the generations is now and forevermore. So will you, uh, uh, will you be, uh, say, say this with me as God initiates our worship together with his word? Make a joyful noise to the earth, Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord. Through generation after generation, your people have always been preserved by your faithfulness, by your steadfast love. And Father, so when we know that we have faced challenges in our own lives as a body, Father, we know that you will have shown your extended resume in our lives and in the lives of your people to be faithful, to love us, and Father, what greater sign and what greater mark of your love and your mercy and your faithfulness to us was the, in the promise of Jesus Christ, who came and he gave his life for us. And Father, it's by that tonight, today that we're united as a people. It's that reason that more than, more than an installation service, more than the raising up of a pastor, for we come here to raise you up in your name, because Jesus Christ is worthy to be praised. And I pray that, Lord, your people would make noise today to sing of your goodness, of your faithfulness, and we'd find rest and peace in our hearts as we remember that you are a shepherd. We are your people, the sheep of your pasture. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.
Let's pray together. God, we gather to worship you because you are a holy God. But also you are the God who has called us to be your children. We celebrate that. We celebrate that the God of the universe came down and chose us to be his precious children. So as we hear from your word today, as we receive, would you remind us of that truth? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. Join me now in a prayer of thanksgiving. Almighty God, Father of all mercies, we, your unworthy servants, do give you most humble and hearty thanks for all your goodness and loving kindness to us and to all men. We bless you for our creation, preservation, and all the blessings of this life, but above all, for your inestimable love in the redemption of the world by our Lord Jesus Christ, for the means of grace and for the hope of glory. And we implore you, give us that due sense of all your mercies, that our hearts may be unfeignedly thankful, and that we would ever praise you, not only with our lips, but in our lives. By giving up ourselves to your service, and by walking before you in holiness and righteousness all our days, through Christ Jesus our Lord, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit be all honor and glory, world without end. Amen. At this time, we'd like to dismiss our children for Sunday school. So if you would, if you children, we love you. We're so glad you're here. If you would proceed quietly and slowly to the back where your teachers will gather you. Before our preacher uh, comes up to to speak, I'd like to give a little bit of an introduction. Um, So I have spent the last eight years in Virginia before I moved here this summer. And in Virginia, I uh, became friends with a pastor named Kelly Scott. Now, Kelly uh, and I, we started at our friendship a little awkwardly, a little slowly. We just saw each other at the same coffee shop over and over again. I was trying to write my dissertation, and I don't know what he was doing, but he was there a lot too. I think he likes coffee a lot. And so we just kind of struck up a friendship, Kelly and I. Kelly was a campus minister at University of Virginia, with Athletes in Action, Athletes in Action, which is a ministry of a, a crew. Uh, and so Kelly and, his, and um, his wife, Nancy, have been doing campus ministry for 27 years, 27 years. And uh, 23 of those were at University of Virginia, um, which has like a, a world-class Olympian program, some of, the, some of the Olympian swimmers, I think like one or two were from UVA. Um, but as Kelly and I were, I was a PhD student, he was a campus ministry, ministry director, we struck up a conversation these many times that it was called Shenandoah Joe's, that was the coffee shop, that's important, um, Shenandoah Joe's, 
And we said, hey, wouldn't it be wonderful if we, like, someday worked at, Tr- at Trinity, our, our mutual church? Wouldn't that be cool if we both did that? Like, that's never going to happen. Um, and then I got hired as a pastor at Trinity. And then uh, about two years into me being hired, he came on as an interim pastor. Um, and now uh, and so it was really fun. That our dream, my dream came true. My dream came true. So I've asked him to come up. Uh, come all the way to California to, to preach. He's been a, a dear friend and a, a companion in ministry together. So as he comes up, would you would you pray with me one more time for the Lord's work? Father in heaven, we do give you our hearts. We pray that you would anoint our brother to proclaim the good news, that we would hear your word and our hearts be receptive. And would you change us, O Lord, to look more and more like Christ. Amen. All right, good morning. Can you all hear me? Uh, it's really good to, uh, to be here and to get to see Jesse and Jessica and Amos and Abby in their, in their new habitat here in California. Um, I actually... Uh, changed from interim to uh, to full time uh, pastor at Trinity. When I when I signed up, I thought Jesse was going to be staying with me. <laughs> um, so we were we were very sad to uh, to lose them, but we're also so excited for them to be here uh, with you. In large part because we could already hear in their voices last spring how excited they were uh, about being with this congregation and how the Lord was already drawing their hearts to, to you all, to this congregation. We could hear and feel the love um, in their voices. And that's only been confirmed as we've, uh, as we, as we've come and spent the last couple of days uh, with them uh, to, see, to see their heart uh, for this church and how much they're enjoying you. Um, well, since, since this sermon is about Jesus and not about Jesse, um, and that one letter makes a big difference, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I want to take I want to take a, mo- a moment uh, before the sermon to, to just briefly mention three things that I uh, really appreciate about appreciate about Jesse. Uh, for and you probably know these things, but first he has this 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 wonderful combination of a theological depth uh, mixed with relational giftedness. He is he is principled, uh, but he's also compassionate. Um, he loves big ideas, but he also loves hospitality, uh, and of course is greatly helped in this and, and probably uh, surpassed by uh, his wife, Jessica, and her love for people and hospitality. Uh, second, and this is expanding on, on Jesse's relational giftedness, but maybe the thing I appreciate most about Jesse is that Jesse really sees people. He, the Lord's given him a gift of being able to see people's gifts and to see their needs, and, and he but he uses that knowledge uh, for our good. Um, he, he wants to see God's people thriving and using their gifts. And so it's just so grateful um, for the insight he's had into my life and the insight I see him having into others' lives. And then finally, uh, his, his sense of humor. Uh, I will likely always be jealous of Jesse's amazingly quick wit and the subtleties of his humor, which are often like three layers down. Um, and uh, I'll probably be jealous until the Lord purifies me on the last day. Um, but Jesse enjoys life, and he loves to laugh, and that is a wonderful thing. 
This morning we uh, will be reading from 2 Timothy chapter 3 and 4. Uh, if you want to turn there in your Bible, uh, I think it's also in your order of, of worship. In God's providence, some people don't get to say everything that they want to say to people uh, before departing from this world. But apparently, Paul did. He did get to say what he wanted to say. He knew that his time was short uh, before being martyred, martyred under uh, Emperor Nero after his second imprisonment in Rome uh, around 64 to 67 AD. And so uh, in light of that impending death, that impending martyrdom, martyrdom he writes to his understudy, Timothy. And, and this charge that he gives to Pastor Timothy is largely a summary of, of the entire letter, a, a very personal letter in which Paul is passing the baton to his understudy that he might carry on the ministry of the gospel. So please give your attention to the reading of God's word. 2 Timothy 3.16 All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Let me pray once again for us. Heavenly Father, we uh, are so grateful that we can come um, in confidence before your throne of grace because of what Christ has done for us. And we ask that you would grant us soft, receptive hearts to receive your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And Proverbs 15.3 says, The tongue that brings healing is a tree of life. But a deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. Can you think of a time or two in your life when something, or when someone said something to you that you could describe as life-giving? I want to give you a few seconds to think about that. Someone said something to you that was truly life-giving. I know I didn't give you too much time there, but three moments uh, came to mind when I asked myself uh, this question a couple of days ago. Like many sons, uh, I grew up wanting to please my dad, wanting to impress my dad, particularly in the athletic realm. Uh, It was not because he was overbearing or overly demanding, uh, but but I respected him. I, I respected his opinion. And I can still remember warming up in the car on an absolutely miserable day, two days after Thanksgiving, uh, right after a soccer game, warming up in the car, it's like 34 degrees outside and raining, 
And by the way, if you've lived in California your whole life, there are actually places that even in the daytime, they're like 34 degrees. Um, but uh, I had just played very poorly in this soccer game. The weather wasn't helping at all. Uh, and my dad uh, honestly evaluated my game, uh, as he always did uh, when asked. But I also remember him saying to me that day, and I don't remember him ever saying this after a soccer game uh, other than this day. He said, no matter how well you play, I love you. Sadly, at that time, I wasn't ready to receive his grace uh, or God's grace. I think my words to him that day were, I don't want to hear that. And yet his words had stuck with me, and they were probably life-giving down the road in ways that I don't even realize. Those words had stuck with me, even though I rejected them at the time. Many years later, uh, early on in campus ministry at the University of Virginia, my regional director, who was my boss, spoke some encouraging words to me about uh, my teaching of the scriptures. And he just said one sentence, but I vividly remember 20 years later um, these words, and and it spurred me on to continue diligently in the work of ministry. Finally, in in a different way, the pastor at the church I attended as a new Christian in college spoke some life-giving words to me about a year after I graduated from college. Uh, After some great teaching on Ephesians chapter 5 by him, not by me, uh, do you know what he said to me? my My now wife, Nancy, was there that day too. He said to me, and to her, I now pronounce you husband and wife. That was so life-giving. And this was different from the first two examples that I mentioned, because these words created something new. The first two examples did change me, but these words actually declared into being a new mystical and spiritual union. He was actually pronouncing God's word and God's blessing, not his own, as a minister of the word. What God has joined together, let no man separate. You see, God has made us speaking and hearing beings as his image and likeness in the world. We we never create out of nothing, but our words do at times have the power to create new things, to to put an end to things. And as the proverb says, to, to crush the spirit or to bring healing, to bring death and to give life. And yet as powerful as our words are, their power is but a small reflection of the power of God's word. God always accomplishes what he wants to accomplish with his word. His word does have the power to accomplish justice, but first and foremost, God's word has the power to give life. And that's our first point today, the word that gives life. Just in case you really like outlines, uh, the other two points will be the allure of a false word, uh, and last point will be the preacher and the hearers of the word. But first, and central to our passage this morning, the word that gives life. The very first verse of our passage, uh, 3.16, begins, all scripture is breathed out by God. Breathed out by God. Where else do we see this? In Genesis 1, God speaks and he creates the sun and the moon 
and the fish and the birds and the land animals. And finally, man and woman in his image and likeness by the sheer power of his word. God brought a person to life through his word. In the more detailed account of the creation of man in Genesis uh, chapter 2, we're told that God actually breathes into the man of dust and the man became a living being. By breathing, God brings him to life. And so the creation of humanity is described as both an act of exhaling a word and exhaling a breath. And we see word and breath here in 2 Timothy as well. We're told that God breathes out the scripture, which is his word to us. The difference is that instead of bringing life out of nothing, as in Genesis 1, now God is bringing life out of death through the power of his word. You see, ever since our, our, our first parents' rejection of God's good and kind rule in the garden, a, a rejection that all of us have repeated many times, the scriptures describe our natural spiritual state as dead. Spiritually dead toward God. Dead in our transgressions and sins. Not wanting to know God, not wanting to glorify God, and not being able to please Him. But rather, always looking for life and for glory in other places. But God, in His great mercy and kindness, speaks another word to give us life out of death, to recreate us in His image and likeness. And that word that He speaks is Christ. That word that he speaks to give us life is Christ. Paul makes this quite clear at the beginning of this letter when he says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which has now been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, and listen to this, who, a, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light. There it is, life out of death. Christ abolished our death by dying our death on the cross and brings us into life and immortality through his resurrection. In fact, the scriptures are so closely tied to the Christ that they proclaim, that in the book of Acts, in multiple places, the expansion of Jesus' church is described as the increasing and multiplying of the Word of God. Those two things are synonymous, that, that the preaching and multiplying of the Word of God are equated with Christ building his church. This is why 1 Peter 1 says, You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and, and abiding word of God. And this is why Paul is so serious about Timothy keeping his main focus on preaching this word. As he says in verse 2, It is the power of life, and to reject it is to remain in death. And so, Paul charges him in verse 1, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead 
who will appear a second time and bring his kingdom of righteousness and love and glory to earth. Paul charges him in light of these things. Because all who are united to him in his death and resurrection will live, and all who stand before God on their own merits will die. So Paul says, Timothy, preach this word. Jesse, preach this life-giving word. People of God, receive and speak the life-giving word to one another and to the world. A little bit more here on uh, the word that gives life. The second half of 3.16 and and verse 17 points to the reality that we live in a time, the time between Jesus' first appearing and his second appearing, when the new life that we have been given in Christ has not yet been made complete in us. As believers, we can be sure that this new life will be made complete in us because we are united with Christ in his death and in his resurrection. But we know from experience and we know from the scriptures that God is still working out this life in us. And how does he do this? How does he continue to work out this new life in us? Again, it's through his life-giving word. The rest of 3.16 says that the scripture is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. See, these are the words that, that describe how God works out this new life in us toward completion, toward wholeness. Theologian John Stott and others point out that these words form uh, what's known as a chiasm or, or a symmetrical structure. These four words form a symmetrical structure. The first two, teaching and reproof, a positive word and then a negative word, both emphasize the renewal of our minds through sound teaching and the reproof of unsound teaching. And then those two words are followed by correction and training and righteousness, a negative word and then a positive, emphasizing the renewal of our actions. Training and righteousness is putting sound teaching into action. So the first two focus on teaching. The second two focus on the application of that teaching. And these four means of growth, teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness, uh, which actually appear parallel, appear to be parallel to Paul's charge uh, in verse 2 to preach, reprove, rebuke, and exhort. These four means of growth move us toward the fullness of life that God has for us. The scriptures, the word of Christ, are the words that give life. Second, uh, the allure of a false word. The allure of a false word. Verses 3 and 4. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. This warning could not be more relevant uh, than it is in our current age of a consumerist society in which it is ingrained into our psyche that unlimited personal choice is of supreme value. Whether it's the almost infinite variety and cuisine that is available to us, right, or uh, the specific coffee bean and preparation method that we desire. Jesse mentioned, I like that. Or the type of shoes on our feet. Or every song in the entire world, pretty much, being available to us with a word or a touch of a screen. Or the 
belief system that we hold dearly or choose to hold loosely or choose to hold loosely we have learned to love choosing our own adventure and it's a great gift to be able to enjoy food from all over the world uh, but we, we need to realize that even these kinds of choices subconsciously shape our expectations in life. And to realize, um, and they should lead us to realize that we are prone to bending our spiritual diet and beliefs to fit our own passions and desires. This is what a false, world about, a false word about God and about the nature of reality does. It's an attempt to, to bend reality to suit ourselves. And think about why we even might tell a small white lie. A small white lie. Maybe it's telling someone at work or at home that, that we've started doing what they asked us to do, even though we actually haven't started doing what they asked us to do, uh, and we're really only going to start now that we've been reminded. Maybe we will. What are we doing there? We are seeking to bend reality to suit ourselves because it would be uncomfortable and maybe embarrassing and in some cases even offensive to say that we had forgotten or we just hadn't gotten around to doing it. Even a small white lie is seeking to bend reality to suit ourselves. Verses 3 and 4 are essentially talking about doing this same reality-bending trick but on a on a much bigger scale. It could be bending God's character so that his goodness rides on whether he allows people to do whatever makes them happy. God loses his prerogative to inform us how he's actually created the world and humanity and what it means to live in freedom. In a similar vein, it could be bending the grace of the gospel so that grace only means justification and forgiveness and not the grace of being transformed more and more into the likeness of God by the Spirit. It's a Jesus who is Savior, but not the Lord of life. And again, in that scenario, we, we define the good life, not God. Or we can bend the gospel the other way so that after beginning with the grace of forgiveness in Christ, it eventually turns into a gospel of religious performance in which we alternatingly feel self-satisfied or miserable depending on how well we're measuring up to whatever spiritual benchmarks we have set for ourselves. The important element here is that we remain in control, not God. The allure of a false word is the illusion that we can control the narrative. That we can write a script that leads to life apart from God, the giver of life, and the creator of all that is good. That was the allure in the garden for Adam and Eve, and it is the allure for us. And Paul is calling Timothy here, and through this word, the Spirit of God calls preachers and hearers to be on guard against a false word that seeks to bend reality to fit our desires rather than asking God to bend our desires to fit his reality. And that leads us to our last point, the preacher and the hearers of the word. Uh, Jesse, you're already going to receive a, a brief charge this morning uh, from, Pastor, from Pastor Wade, I believe. Um, 
And we've already seen that the passage has clearly charged you to devote yourself to the preaching of the word, which is to do the work of an evangelist, as verse 5 reiterates, proclaiming the good news to believer and unbeliever. And so in light of the charge that's coming and the charge that we've already heard to to preach the word, I'm just going to briefly comment on some of Paul's other words uh, about the preacher. In verse 17, while the phrase, the man of God, may refer to a disciple more generally, uh, Timothy, the preacher pastor, is the primary referent here, as the man of God who will be equipped for every good work by Scripture. And so, Jesse, just as I saw you sitting at your dining room table, uh, reading the Word this morning, never cease to be a student of the Word. Don't allow the messiness of ministry and family crowd this out. Continue to be a student. So long as the God-breathed word is the oxygen in your arteries, you will be equipped for ministry. Verse 2. Preach the word in and out of season. Preach the word when the fruit of ministry seems to come easily and when the fruit is difficult to see or seem very far off. Preach it when it's convenient and inconvenient. God does not call you to control the fruits of your ministry but simply to be a faithful planter and water. The call to fulfill your ministry in verse 5 is again not a call to produce results, but a call to be diligent in all the duties of a pastor. One of which, one primary one, is to be a man of prayerful reliance on God to accomplish what he wants to accomplish through you. Be patient, verse 2 displaying the same patience with your flock that God showed to you. And be sober-minded, verse 5, remembering that the Lord is with you when you feel like you're over your head. He's not overwhelmed when you are. And finally, Paul calls Timothy to endure suffering in verse 5, and he reminds Timothy in verse 6 that he himself is being poured out like a drink offering. The Lord is calling you to lay down your life for his people. Being poured out like a drink offering almost certainly implies this. And yet, as theologian Peter Lightheart points out, the drink offerings that accompanied the sacrificial offerings in the Old Testament were actually not to be offered until God's people had reached the promised land. Lightheart says this, Drinking wine is a sabbatical activity. It is a sign and means of rest and celebration. Specifically, the libation, or drink offering, is a sabbatical offering. Only after the Lord had defeated the enemies of his people and given his people a restful dwelling in the land, would he accept the wine of the libations. And so, Jesse, it's only as you live in Sabbath rest the Sabbath rest that Jesus has given us. And it's only as you remember that he rules and reigns now at the right hand of the Father. And only as you celebrate the fullness of the rest that awaits that you will be able to lay down your life for his people. What about the hearers of the word? What about the hearers of the word? Some congregations seem to think that since it's the pastor's job to die, their job must therefore be to make sure that that happens. Rather, 
The calling of the congregation is to imitate their leaders as their leaders imitate Christ. To die for one another in living out the word of God. As 1 John 3 says, Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. This begins, kind of going back full circle, circle here, this begins with dying to ourselves and receiving the word that gives life. And I just want to conclude here with, uh, with a word of application on how we receive the word and what that looks like in our lives. What cooperative role does God call us to play with the Spirit in receiving the Word of God? And there are a few ways that we receive the Word of God. I want to talk about the relationship between those ways that we receive the Word of God. First, we're to receive the preaching of the Word. As is clear from this passage and many others, we're to receive the preaching of the Word. Um, Second, we are to speak and sing and talk about the Word with one another. And third, we are, we are to contemplate, to reflect on, to study, and to pray over the word on our own. We see this modeled in the Psalms, as the psalmists reflect on God's word and its application to their lives. We see this modeled in Acts 17, the Berean church, how they diligently studied and examined the scriptures. We might call it our devotional life. We might call it our quiet time. We might just call it reading scripture and praying. But, but we're called to hear preaching, we're called to talk and sing and pray the word to one another, and, and we see in the scriptures this personal time of reflecting and contemplating God's word. And I want to say one really important thing about the relationship between those, those three. A number of the most significant moments of, of understanding and growth in my life have come not only through hearing the word preached, but also in those times of, of personal study and reflection. As I thought about that this week, I, I realized that even in those personal times with the Lord, it's almost impossible for me to overstate how the sound preaching and teaching of the Word has shaped and guided my personal time with the Lord. So that I'm not interpreting Scripture in a vacuum. Sound preaching and teaching of the word help protect me and protect us from mishandling God's word on our own, from making our own prejudices and biases and preferences and experiences the primary lens through which we see the scriptures. There's also a a, a beauty to preaching that reflects the very nature of the gospel. Because when we hear the preaching of the word, it is a word that is coming that is coming from outside of us that did not originate in here. It's coming from outside of us and is implanted in us. Right? That's this is true of, of reading scripture too. It's a word coming from the outside, but there there is a passivity and an active passivity, if you will, in hearing the gospel preached that particularly reflects the grace of God that does come from outside of us in Christ and is freely given to us by the Spirit of God. It's a big book that God has given us. And I want to encourage you to to persevere in learning the Scripture, particularly if the Bible feels overwhelming to you. If you don't 
um, know where to start or you've gotten weary in it, I want to encourage you. And I want to encourage you to see uh, every time you read a book in the Bible or, or you maybe read through the Bible in a year or you, um, or you completed a, a study of some sort, I, w- I want to encourage you to see it as, as adding a layer each time. Adding a layer of understanding that eventually fills in and becomes this, this, this rich understanding of the Bible. So the Bible is like, it's like a movie that, that you need to see three times to really understand it, but, but like times ten or times a hundred. Right? With some movies you can catch the whole story. Just you, you, might, you might love the movie, but you really don't want to see it again because you, you got it. Right? In other movies, you, you're like, I only caught like a quarter of this. I need to go back and watch this a few times. The Bible is like that, but, but time's a big factor, right? Um, <clears throat> learning scripture, finally, is, um, it's, it's a lot like, it's, a, it's like building a house. In 2008, our family was getting really big, and uh, we either were moving out or we were building up. And so we ripped the roof off, um, and not personally, but we ripped the roof off, and uh, which I guess in the analogy, ripping the roof off would be our coming to Jesus moment, okay? And, um, and, and the first part of the addition, right, was, was installing the, the second uh, story floor joists, right? And, and, and installing the rim board or the band board that goes around those floor joists, right? And this, this is kind of like being a, a, a beginning student of the Word. You're starting to get some solid foundational truths, but there are still significant holes in our understanding. It's difficult to envision how everything is going to come together. Then the next stage, the, the subflooring, gets placed on the, on the floor joists. And the exterior walls and, and the ceiling joists were framed out. I could literally see this happening you know, above our heads each day. Um, and, uh, and, and we could walk around on the second story now without worrying about falling through to the first floor. Uh, it felt much more solid than before. And you could start to see the big picture taking shape. But there are still significant gaps. Right? This, is, this is like the person who's, who's been in God's Word for, for a couple of years. Next came the roof trusses and the roofing. There was added security now. It was starting to feel a lot more like home. And then the interior of the house starts to come together, the electrical and the plumbing and the HVAC and the drywall, and you're beginning to see how the parts fit into the whole. And this is like the person who's been actively um, seeking the word, reading the word for several years. And finally, the flooring, the bathroom fixtures, the built-ins, the trim and the paint go on, and it becomes a home that we live in, that we relate in, that we work and play in and that we rest in. And so I want to encourage you to patiently persevere in your study of the Word until it becomes the place that you live in and work in and play in and rest in. With each layer of understanding, there are added benefits to the believer. Like all construction projects, there are stops and starts, um, times when it feels like it's never going to come together. But it will. And if you've heard anything this morning, don't build it alone. Allow the faithful preaching of the Word to guide and instruct you as you build your understanding of the Word by the Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are a gracious God. Lord, you are the God of all power and might. 
Your word is powerful. Your word has the power to create life out of nothing. Your word has the power to create life out of death, out of our death. Lord, we thank you that in Christ you've brought us in to life and into rest. And Lord, we thank you that we can know, because we are united to him, that you're going to complete this good work in us, that you are going to continue to work out your life in us. And Lord, would you give us hearts today that want to cooperate with you in that work, that want to yield to your spirit, that desire holiness, completeness, fullness of life in you. Lord, we ask in the name of Christ. Amen. Good morning. I guess it's actually probably afternoon now, but you get the idea. Today is a special day, as we've already talked about some. Today is a special day for Jesse, uh, but not just for Jesse. Today is a special day for everybody here this morning, because uh, Jesse is about to be installed as the next senior pastor at IGC. And it's a special day because every time that Jesus calls someone to be a pastor, it's it's a beautiful story. And there's a story behind this moment of Jesse and his family coming out here to Castro Valley from Virginia. And it's a complex and it's a beautiful one. And in a fun coincidence, just a few years ago, I actually was at Jesse's ordination service when he first became a pastor in Charlottesville, Virginia, because I actually worked at that same church for about eight years as well. Um, and so it's just funny to think that little did we know that we would both end up being doing ministry near each other, but thousands of miles away on the West Coast. So here we are. And... I'm excited to be representing the Northern California Presbytery as we install Jesse as the next senior pastor here. So I have the joy and privilege of helping lead us in this next moment, which is a holy moment, because Jesse is going to be taking some solemn vows. But as we just heard um, from Kelly, this isn't just about Jesse and the preaching of the word, but there are actually vows for you, the congregation, to take as well as the hearers of the word. And so together, this is a special moment for all of us as we get to begin this next chapter in the life of this church and get to see the next chapter of this story unfold as Jesus works through and in and even despite Jesse and his family here in the life of this church. So let's get down to it. Jesse, you want to come up here? I have some questions for you. Jesse. Are you now willing to take charge of this congregation as their pastor, agreeable to your declaration and accepting its call? Do you conscientiously believe and declare as far as you know your own heart that in taking upon you this charge, you are influenced by a sincere desire to promote the glory of God and the good of the church? Do you solemnly promise that by the assistance of the grace of God, you will endeavor faithfully to discharge all the duties of a pastor to this congregation and will be careful to maintain a deportment in all respects, becoming a minister of the gospel of Christ, agreeable to your ordination engagements. Awesome. And now for you, the congregation of IGC, I have some questions for you as well. 
Do you, the people of this congregation, continue to profess your readiness to receive Jesse Robinson, whom you have called to be your pastor? If so, say, we do. Do you promise to receive the word of truth from his mouth with meekness and love and to submit to him in the due exercise of discipline? Do you promise to encourage him in his labors and to assist his endeavors for your instruction in spiritual edification? Do you engage to continue to him while he is your pastor, that competent worldly maintenance which you have promised, and to furnish him with whatever you may see needful for the honor of religion and for his comfort among you? Amen. I'm now going to invite all of our ruling and teaching elders to come up and to lay hands on Jesse as we pray for him. Let's pray, guys. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for this day. You are Lord over it. Father, I want to pray for Jesse, specifically for his time. Lord, that you would give him time to rest, time to relish the gospel for himself, time to preach it to himself, time with Jessica, time with his kids. Lord, that you would watch over his time, um, that he would not be rushed with the tyranny of the urgent. But, Lord, that you would show him how to spend each and every day as he employs his pastorate here in Indelible Grace Church. Lord, would you also protect him? Protect his mind, Lord. Protect uh, his marriage. Lord, protect his children. Lord, protect him against the evil one, Lord, and continue to draw his heart uh, to the gospel that saved him, that is saving him, and will ultimately save him. In Jesus' name. Uh, Lord of the harvest, we thank you for uh, your faithfulness in bringing laborers into the harvest field here in Northern California. Uh, we thank you for this dear family that you have brought. Uh, we thank you, <clears throat> Lord, that you have surprised us with your goodness again and again and again and again in answer to the prayers of many. And so, Lord, we do pray for uh, Jesse and Jessica and their family that they might uh, be, <clears throat> be welcomed uh, here well, that their home would be filled with laughter, and beauty, and joy, um, and your presence. We pray that there they would experience rich friendships for many, many years to come. And Lord, we pray um, for uh, humble boldness for uh, Jesse and humble boldness for indelible grace um, to minister the gospel uh, with richness in this place. We pray that uh, as they go out into the harvest that they would be able to bring healing um, to many, and um, pray that the kingdom of God would be seen as near and here uh, in 
their lives and in this place. We pray for patient endurance uh, and a spirit of longing and prayer to motivate all that they do. And we look forward, Lord, to your faithfulness being celebrated in 5, 10, 15 years as we um, come back and think about the anniversary of this occasion. You are good. We thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Dear God, throughout the generations, you've raised up leaders to preach your word, to lead your people. And we're so thankful that uh, today you have raised up Jesse, your servant, to um, serve your people here in Castro Valley and the Bay Area. May you use his gifts mightily to bless the congregation, to bless your people, to bless this community. Continue to um, help Jesse to look to you, to uh, seek you, to um, be uh, a humble servant uh, for the work here. So as we um, send Jesse out, uh, may he continue to be an example um, of discipleship and love, a lover of you, uh, that uh, as he sets the example, so the congregation will follow. And may um, the people of IGC and the people in this community uh, will be blessed by his work. Thank you, in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Jesse, claiming the promise that still holds true that Jesus gave to Peter, that even the gates of hell will not withstand the church. I now pronounce and declare that Jesse Robinson has been regularly elected and installed pastor of this congregation, agreeable to the word of God and according to the constitution of the Presbyterian Church in America, and that as such he is entitled to all support, encouragement, honor, and obedience in the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Congratulations, Jesse. Um, it is, we are so happy. Um, this is something that uh, I am excited about, that we as a staff and session are excited about, and we as a church are uh, excited about, and I'm looking forward to working with you for a long time. It's, I've been giving this, given this honor to give you the charge um, to you as a minister, and here it is, Jesse. You should know that it is a strange thing to want to be a pastor, and if you truly understand what it means to be a pastor, it becomes a terrifying thing. As the shepherd of a flock, you are tasked to care for and love a group of people that God has brought to this place, Indelible Grace Church, from all ages, all different ethnicities, and cultural backgrounds and political preferences, with all their joys and pains and doubts and insecurities and anxieties. And how will you do that? As a shepherd, 
you have been called to teach us by word and example how to live a life pleasing to the Lord. You have been tasked to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you preach the gospel, you don't just tell us about the power of God, but the very power of God comes from your feeble lips. It would be less consequential to carry a nuclear reactor on your back than it would be to preach the gospel carelessly. Listen to the words of the 19th century Methodist bishop, Matthew Simpson. The preacher's preacher's throne is the pulpit. He stands in Christ's stead. His message is the word of God. Around him are immortal souls. The Savior unseen is beside him. The Holy Spirit broods over the congregation. Angels gaze upon the scene, and heaven and hell await the issue. What associations and what vast responsibility. This is what you have been called to, Jesse. And Jesse, as a shepherd of the flock, you will one day stand before God and give an account for the soul's place under your care. And if that's not terrifying, I don't know what is. And why would you ever want these responsibilities unless you are 1,000% certain that the invisible God has called you to it? And this is to speak nothing of the countless administrative tasks and counseling sessions and meetups with church members and meetings with staff and session and ministry leaders. This is phone calls at inconvenient times and not holding your personal plan and, and holding your personal plans loosely because you don't know when your pastoral duties will take you. Pastoral work is the messy work of tending to relationships and mending relationships. It's being unfairly criticized and not defending yourself. At times, it will be enduring false accusations. It's marrying and burying people. It's seeing people through their happiest days and lowest moments. It's doing this day in and day out in the long run, often without anyone knowing about it. And Jesse, your position as a leader of a church, the lead pastor of a church, will give you tremendous opportunities to bless people and point them to Jesus. And it also puts in your hands the capacity to cause tremendous harm because people are entrusting themselves to your care. So for the sake of Christ and for the sake of his church, please take your calling seriously. Don't use the pulpit as a platform to show off your skills. Don't use people to get your way. Don't look at this job as a way to live the type of life that's dignified and respectable. And don't waste our time by preaching anything other than Christ and him crucified. And Jesse, why would you take on this impossible task? There are many reasons, and undoubtedly you have thought about this many times over the years. And I want to give you just one from 1 Peter 5.4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. If you're faithful in your calling, Jesse you will receive a crown of glory. One day it will be clear that all the drudgery and suffering, all the countless meetings and phone calls, all the hours spent studying and preparing your sermons, everything you poured out for the souls of Indelible Grace Church, all these things were worth it because you will receive a glorious crown as a reward. But there is one very important thing. The book of Revelation gives us the image of the elders laying down the crowns at the throne of Jesus. Because their crowns were not the ultimate reward. Jesus is. So this is my charge to you, Jesse. Before you are a pastor, you are a worshiper of Jesus. 
Find your strength in Jesus. Do ministry in the power that he provides. Look at Jesus. Cling to him when life is difficult. Run to him when you're tempted by anything else. Remember his sacrifice for you. Tell others about Jesus. Study him until he's beautiful to you. And then tell us about him. Praise him for all that he has done. Worship him for all that he is. Now may this be true of your life and your ministry, Jesse. Be a worshiper of Jesus. I'm going to invite Tom up for the charge to the congregation. Thanks, Wade. When Jesse, oh, and this is the last sermon, I think, of the morning. From someone who's not from Trinity. Um, You either, Wade, right? Okay. When Jesse asked me um, via text, to uh, give the charge to the congregation. Yeah, that it seems right for me to be able to stand here today and to look at all your beautiful faces and to know that I get to have this word um, is such a blessing to me. Um, and so the first word that came to mind in charging you as a congregation on this, this day, Jesse's installation as your senior pastor, is love. And nobody does In the words of Carly Simon, nobody does it better. Makes me feel sad for the rest. You guys, y'all love well at Indelible Grace Church. You do. Don't doubt that about yourself. You are a loving congregation, so I charge you to keep doing that. I've been the recipient of your love, your compassion and grace and care, but your love this year. So keep doing that. It sort of reminds me of, um, it's kind of a wedding a little bit today. I mean, kind of the coming together of Jesse's family into this family and having done so many weddings that I can't count. First Corinthians 13, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Also, a great wedding text, if you need these for your future reference. Colossians 3 says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, above all of that, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So I'm charging you, Indelible Grace Church, to love Love Jesse and Jessica and Amos and Abby, as you've shown already that you do. And on a day like today, it's easy. It's pretty easy. I mean, Jesse's got a jacket on. I mean, things things are easy. But harder days probably will come because I do know this about Jesse. He's a human being. So he'll need your love. So in this charge to love your pastor and his family, How are you to do this? Where is the power? Are you just supposed to sort of, I'm going to love, we're going to love Jesse. Well, no, the power comes to do that from 
the way Jesus loves Indelible Grace Church and has all these years shown his love to you as a church. You're here because of Christ's love in the gospel. The way 1 Corinthians 13 says love is patient and kind and doesn't envy your brother. This is the way, Indelible Grace, that Jesus loves you as a body, individuals in this body, gifted and skilled and talented and beautiful. Jesus loves you in all these ways. He's of compassionate heart and kind and humble and meek and patient. He bears with you. He loves you. And so because of the gospel of what Christ has done in loving you, you can love this man and his family, even on the hard days that come, that will inevitably come. And I hope those hard days come in about 10 years. Give you, you know, a nice run-up. And I leave you with this beautiful, beautiful, loving, indelible Grace Church. If you'll recall, um, Jack and Rose on the Titanic, Jack really loved Rose. And it was that love that he showed her, right? You jump, I jump, right? He went down with the ship of dreams. And she lived on that love her entire life. In fact, that love was so strong that she was willing to drop the heart of the ocean, that diamond. No way. But that love carried carried her throughout her entire life. And that is an illustration, though poor, it is an illustration of the great love that Jesus has for you. He did jump. He did go down, and he came back up with your dreams. And you can only live on his love the rest of your time. Whether Jesse's pastoring, it doesn't matter. You only have the love of Christ to feast on. Samuel Rutherford, um, I think 16th century theologian, Scottish, he says this, or he said this, Live on Christ, and I charge you, indelible grace, live on Christ's love while you are here and then all the way. For to live on Christ's love is to live a king's life. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And invite up the congregational prayers. Let's bow our heads and pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so excited to be in this worship service today, witnessing of your faithfulness to our church, and we praise you for bringing um, Pastor Jesse to Indelible Grace Church to continue your work of salvation you have started some 13 years ago. Even though you don't need us to accomplish your plan because you love us, you call us to be part of your kingdom work. So as we move forward in loving obedience to your call to be your witnesses in our community, help us as a church to forget what lies behind and strain forward to what lies ahead, to press on toward the goal, to win the prize you have prepared for us in Jesus Christ.
Lord, may your hand of mercy, protection, and unity be upon Jesse, Jessica, Amos, and Abby. Bless them with spiritual wisdom and insight. Protect them with your armor. Equip them to stand firm when spiritual battles come. Give them spiritual discernment, strength, and hope. May your voice be the only voice they follow. May the worldly sufferings pale in comparison to your glorious presence in their lives. We pray they would place their identity in Christ alone and not in their role as a pastor's family. That they would know first and foremost they are your beloved sons and daughters, forgiven, redeemed, and given new life. Father, be a shield around the Robinsons. Draw them closer together and closer to you. Give them great courage. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, I pray for Jesse's role as a husband and a father. I pray that he'd lead his family well by serving them. In his role as a husband, help him to love Jessica well and remain completely faithful to her, to be attentive to her and prioritize her amidst the demands of ministry. I pray that he would be quick to ask forgiveness and quick to forgive. May their marriage always abound in joy and unity. In his role as a father, help him to bring up Amos and Abby in your wisdom and instruction to be gentle with them and kind, walking in the grace and patience that you so richly show us. May his love for them be a refuge, as your fatherly love is a refuge for us. May their family life bear witness to you in their neighborhood and community. Uh, Dad, I want to pray for Jesse as part of our staff team. I pray for Jesse as the leader of our team that you would give him your wisdom and vision as he leads us, and that he would not lead us and our church out of his own wisdom and vision. And as a team, I pray that you would give us unity and like-mindedness, steadfastness and strength. As we go day by day and week by week in our responsibilities, may we not lose sight of why we do what we do and who we do it for. Please remind us daily that if you are absent in what we do, it is meaningless and futile. And when our team struggles or disagrees or when we don't know what to do, may that lead us to our knees in neediness and reliance on you. And when it seems that things are going well and that our team is doing good things, may that also humbly lead us to you because we know that you are ultimately the one working and that any good thing that happens first and foremost stems from you because you are good. And finally, may we not do what we think is right or good for the church, but may we lean on you and be receptive to your heart and voice so that we would do what you want with and through our church. Thank you. We love you in Jesus' name. Father, we're so thankful for your provisions, your constant faithfulness to ITC during our 13 years of existence. Despite our shortcomings, you continue to intervene and work on our behalf. We experienced your love and faithfulness most recently when you provided Pastor Jesse and his family to be part of the IGC family. We are truly humbled by this provision. We want to pray for Pastor Jesse as he continues to work as our senior pastor. Please bless him daily and give him much wisdom and insight as he guides this congregation. Be with him as he works with the leaders and interacts with the members of the church. Let us remember to pray for him often. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. come now to the feast, to the bread, bread, to the juice. This is the Lord's table, um, where we have heard the words spoken to us 
And Calvin, John Calvin used to call this a visible word, a word of God's love to us in the bread and the wine. If this is not your faith, if you don't believe in Jesus yet, if you've not been baptized in his name, if, if you do not belong to a church tonight, I invite you not to take this in this moment. Instead, pray and consider what it might look like to, to commit yourself to Jesus. If, it, if this is your faith, if you're committed to, to Jesus and his church, and this is for you, I receive from the Lord. But I also delivered to you to the Lord. On the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, saying, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. Until he comes. I'm going to invite our elders to come on up to serve. We're going to come up through the middle and then receive each element. And then if you return to your seat, we'll wait to partake all together. And let's worship and sing as we do that.
friends, this is the body and bread of our Lord Jesus. Take and eat. Friends, this is the blood of Christ shed for you. Let's stand and sing together.
Tracy and I am the administrator here at Indelible Grace Church and I'm so glad that we could all partake in this service together, this special service. Um, 
I don't know if you guys know this, but um, there's something called a Clergy Appreciation Day in I don't know. I don't know if it's just America or what, but it's actually today, um, and so it's kind of a special Sunday for all of this to be happening for us to be. Um, I don't know, just having this service, and so um, I just wanted to say Happy Clergy Appreciation Day too. Um, so today, after our service, we are having a celebration lunch um, in honor of um, the installation of Pastor Jesse as our senior pastor. We are having uh, tacos from El Rancho Supermercado. And I don't know if you guys know this, but we are having this because Jesse loves tacos. Um, and we are also going to be celebrating with a cake after, or not after, but just at some point, uh, we will announce that there will be a cake. Uh, we were originally going to have a uh, Tres Leches cake, but unfortunately there was an issue with the cake order. But we still have cake, uh, and we are still, and it's a celebratory cake, and so um, please stick around for us to have cake together. Um, there is a suggested $5 donation if you can afford it, and there is a sign at the head of the table that has some payment options. And so, and but if this is your first time with us, if you are a guest with us, please do not pay. Lunch is on us. We're just so glad that you're here to fellowship with us. Um, we want to remind you guys that we are still collecting a love offering for our beloved interim pastor Tom and Wendy. And so if you, this is something that you wanted to do, but maybe you haven't had the chance to do it yet or you forgot to do it, um, there is no deadline for it as long as you designate pastor Tom and Wendy or the savages in the memo line of your donation, um, the money, uh, the offering will go to them. And I also wanted to just, uh, let you guys know about a save the date. Um, so, Every year, we try to have a Christmas party, an annual Christmas party. Our Christmas party this year is going to be on December 3rd, which is a Sunday at 5 p.m. at the Paula Maris Hills Clubhouse. So uh, mark the dates. I know that some of you are, you know, making holiday plans and things like that. So I wanted to let you guys know to save the date for that. Again, December 3rd, which is a Sunday. Um, and also, parents, um, you know, this is an extended kind of a long service, especially for our children's ministry helpers, and it would be much, much appreciated if you have a parent, a child who is in one of the classes that you pick them up immediately after service to um, relieve the helpers and so that we can uh, get lunch started. And um, after Jesse's, Pastor Jesse's uh, benediction, please help with teardown and as well as getting these tables out so that we can begin our lunch. Thank you. Would you please stand and receive God's good word spoken over you. May the love of God, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of his spirit be with you all evermore. Amen. Go out, greeting each other, and grabbing a chair.